One of my favorite evenings in the early stages of our church plant was when we held a reading with the rector, that's just when we open up a book and discuss it together, on Athanasius's great work on the Incarnation. Allison and David Aranda hosted it. We had incredible food that evening, incredible conversation about this infinitely important book in the history of the church. But probably the most interesting and fun part of that evening was that we had Archbishop Anishor Rajay from Rwanda with us. He graced us with his presence. He was doing an American tour where he was visiting a bunch of churches all over the United States. And the very first church that he visited, as far as I know, was ours. And he came to this event. And in many ways, it was, it was incredible, but I felt pretty bad for him because he was really tired. If any of you were there that night, I know very few of you were, you'll remember the bishop looked like he was about to fall asleep the whole time. I felt so bad for the guy, but you know, he graced us with his presence. He had really thoughtful things to say about Athanasius and its imp his impact upon the church. But my favorite memory of that night was not the lively conversation. It wasn't the incredible food. It was when Sarah and Ethan Evans went up to Archbishop Rajay, this man who oversees a massive province, one of the most healthy and largest provinces in the entire Anglican communion. This person has more real influence than any megachurch leader in the United States. And that evening, they went up to him and they said, Archbishop Rajay, will you bless our baby? And they extended little Eliza to him. And this incredibly important man came to life. He looked like he was about to fall asleep, but at the moment that baby was placed in his arms, he kind of tucked her away and he started talking to her, doing some baby talk to her, and his eyes were just lit up with joy. And then he requested some oil be brought to him, and he blessed her in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you could tell that night, that was absolutely the highlight of his evening, was to get to bless a baby. Today, as we continue in our series on finding our identity as the beloved of God, I'd like to turn back to our definition together of what does it mean to have our identity as the beloved. And we've said to have our identity as the beloved is to know that we are a chosen child of God, blessed, broken, resurrected, and fed. To have our identity as the beloved of God is to be a chosen child of God, blessed, broken, resurrected, and, fed. and I want to look at that word today, blessed. What does it mean for us as Christians to be blessed by God? And kind of a simple definition of blessed, because we can often use these words so often that they lose all sense of meaning, right? To be blessed is first to be recognized, to have a state of being recognized. Recognition is necessary for being blessed. You don't just bless someone you don't know. Rajay grabbed a little baby and spent time with her, looking her right in the eyes, recognizing her dignity and worth, and then to pronounce favor, to pronounce favor, to be recognized and to receive favor from someone, particularly someone that can extend favor. And so today I want to look at three aspects of this blessed life that we are called into as God recognizes us and extends favor to us. First, I want to look at the reality that this is God's first posture towards humanity. God's first posture towards us is blessing. 
Second, we'll look at God is the one who can be the actual source of blessing because he is so full of life, full of joy, full of goodness, that he's the one that can actually extend that blessing to us. And then I want to look at us as the priesthood of all believers, that we are called to go out into the world bearing blessing. So if you would, turn with me to Genesis 1, 26 through 28, where we're going to look at God's first posture towards us, which is blessing. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You know, it's not obvious that God's first posture towards us is blessing. In fact, many of us struggle to believe that. Many of us struggle to believe that God actually wills our good. Many of you know my favorite book is The Brothers Karamazov, and there's a character in it who, that's his whole thing. I didn't ask to be created, and I'm not entirely sure God even loves me anyway. But when we open up the scriptures, and when we look at the world through the eyes of faith, what does God say? How does he define existence? How does he set up the parameters of our relationship with him? What is his first movement towards us? It's recognition. He says, these are the ones that are made in my image. These aren't just some random aspect of creation. These are my image bearers, the ones that are worthy of me to see. And then he extends his favor. He blesses them, and he gives them authority over the entire earth. And in fact, what does he do? He gives to them the earth. You know... It's interesting, if you think about it for a minute, the very first act of blessing that we have, that every human being shares in common, is the gift of creation. You know, it's not a given. In fact, it's incredibly implausible, wildly implausible, borderline impossible for all of this to just happen. If we're just a hair a bit too close to the sun, a hair a bit too far from the sun, life doesn't happen. If we don't have oxygen, life doesn't happen. If we don't have uh, properly calibrated ecosystems, life doesn't happen. This doesn't just happen. And whether or not you think that it all happened in a moment when God spoke it forth, or whether you think God orchestrated it through a long series of events, whether or not you cared for this theological opinion or this theological opinion, either way, it doesn't just happen. Rather, it's given as a gift. Throughout the Middle Ages, there was a huge debate that occurred about whether or not nature preceded grace, okay? There was a, a group that kind of talked about nature kind of stands on its own, and then God engages with nature with his grace. And there was a great theologian in the 20th century, who you sound really smart when you say his name, Henri de Lubac. And Henri de Lubac, he was, a, he, was, he was French, obviously, and he loved Thomas Aquinas. He said, listen, you're completely misunderstanding Thomas Aquinas, okay? And I think de Lubac's right. Aquinas said, you can't separate the two. Creation itself is graced. 
because creation itself is the first act of grace, where God says, here is the first gift I'm going to give you, existence itself. When we look around us, we do see so many tragedies, and they've befallen each of us, or someday they will. But we first have to step back and say, the bare meaning of existence itself is a gift God has given us. It's not a given. Beauty isn't a given, but what did God do? He made a world that he was actually beautiful because he himself is beauty. God brought us into a life of joy where we can experience relational connectivity with one another. Why? Because God is the God of relational connectivity, his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he gave that to us as a gift. Food tasting good. Do you even know, do you know what the Garden of Eden means? It's Garden of Delights. That's what that means. He didn't send you into the garden of bland food. You remember in the Matrix when they get in the real world and all they have is mush porridge to eat, right? That's not what he made. He made a garden of delight for you. The very first posture of God towards his creation is blessing. But we see that through our sin, a curse entered the world. So God, in order to bring us back into a full state of blessing sent his very son to take our curse upon himself, to hang it upon the tree of Calvary so that all that is left between us and God is a posture of blessing. So often we are tempted to believe that God's fundamental posture towards us is still the curse. It's still his judgment. But through Jesus Christ, what we see is that his fundamental posture towards us in creation and even more in recreation is blessing. Ephesians 1.3 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The general blessing of creation has become particular in the children of God as he has brought us into the very blessed life of life with him. So what we see is that as creatures, and especially as those that are recreated in Jesus, God's first and final posture towards us is blessing. Now I want to look at why God can be the one who blesses us. Why is it that he is the one that can extend infinite blessing to us? If you would, turn with me way towards the end of the Bible, James 1 17. Many of you know this passage by heart, but maybe you don't know the theology behind it. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Look at this next part. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, this passage is perplexing. We understand the beginning of it, right? Every good gift and every perfect gift, right? Blessings come from above, coming down from the Father of lights. We get that. God, source of blessing, makes a lot of sense. But then look at the last half of this verse. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now that's odd. Why would James, the brother of Jesus, think it's important to talk about how God blesses us, and then he says, oh yeah, by the way, God doesn't change. Those don't seem to go together, do they? But actually, they necessarily go together. 
When the Bible says that God doesn't change, we have to understand what the scriptural authors mean. What they don't mean is that God is some, you know, contained cube orbiting in space, right? And you can't get anything into him and nothing really comes out of him. He's the unmoved mover. That's not what the scripture is talking about. Rather, the scripture teaches that God is so full of being. He is so full of life. He is so full of beauty and truth and goodness that you can't add any more to him. If you could add something to him, he'd change. He'd become more of God. He'd become more beautiful, more good, more perfect. But throughout the history of the church, there's been this idea that that God can't change, not because he's contained and isolated, but because he's so full of who he is. You can't cram any more of it in there. You can't get more than an infinity. That's what it means for God to be unchanging. Now, why is that connected to God being the giver of good gifts? Well, let me give an analogy. You know, I want to give my sons the gift of being polite. I do. I want them to be polite. Things tend to go better for you when you're polite at the right times and you speak up at the right times. But by and large, people like you to be polite. Now, I want my sons to be successful in this world. I want them to have friends. I want them to be liked. I want good things for them. And I want good things for me. And often, when I'm irritated at one of my children and I am teaching them about how to be polite, it's a lot more about me than it is about them. Parents, none of you have ever experienced this, I'm sure. None of you have ever taught your child a lesson, and it's really about, I'm so fed up with this behavior. I'm going to teach them a lesson for their benefit, but in reality, I'm trying to solve something in myself because my patience is at zero. How many of us have ever received a gift from someone And that gift is really about them. It's not about us. What happens? You feel manipulated. You feel like it's not a real gift in the first place. You feel like there is some quid pro quo going on here. And in the, you know, balance of relationship here, they're going to come out ahead. How many of you have ever been given a gift with strings attached? Does that feel like a true gift? Does that feel like a blessing? I've shared this story with you before, but I'll share it again because I just love it. Dr. Tom Smiley, that's the Baptist who, you know, they give all of our church plants a ton of money. When I first became a pastor, he said, Tim, never trust the first person to bring you a fruitcake because that fruitcake is going to cost you. And what he meant by that was that fruitcake has strings attached, Tim. Don't trust it. We've all had a fruitcake given to us, right? But what do we see with God? He doesn't need a quid pro quo. He's already full. He already has all the glory and praise and honor that he could ever need. He doesn't need more of it. And therefore, he is the one gift giver you can actually trust because it doesn't come back to him trying to get something out of you. If you look at the world religions all over us, and especially in the ancient world, what are the gods doing? They're petulant little children trying to get something in themselves, right? 
Read, read, read Homer sometime, right? The gods of the Greeks are just playing chess with people, trying to one-up one another. It's a quid pro quo. But the God of the gospel, he's the one that is the fullness of life himself. He doesn't need any more honor, any more praise. His gifts are absolutely trustworthy because they are for your benefit. And so often we need the eyes of faith to see that the gifts of God are actually for our blessing, not for our cursing. So often we think the gift of holiness is just God being like, I don't like dirty things near me. If he didn't want you to be near him, he'd just zap you, okay? That's in it. Why is he wanting to give you the gift of holiness? Because it's for your blessing, So often in our lives, we don't see the gifts God gives us as true gifts. We ask, what are you trying to get out of me? What autonomy are you trying to rob from me? But the one person we can actually trust that gives us good, perfect gifts is God himself. Do you want to receive the gift of true life, meaningful life, purpose in your life? Receive the gifts that he gives because they are truly for your good. Now, what does this do? What does this do in our hearts? As we receive gifts from God, we are called to overflow that blessing to the world. If you would, turn with me to Numbers 6, 22 through 27, words that you hear every Sunday. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. You know, in the Old Testament, the priest existed to be the mediator between God and humanity. And so the priest would go offer sacrifices in the temple. But then what would he do when he left that? He would go out to the people, he would stretch his arms out, and he would pronounce blessing. The Old Testament role of the priest was never to pronounce a judgment of God without pronouncing a blessing of God. A judgment of God was always meant to lead to repentance so that Israel could live in their proper state of what? Receiving proper blessing. And that word was spoken from God through a priest to God's people. Now you might notice in the liturgy each Sunday, what are the first and last words of the priest? That's my role, right? What's the first and last role or words? Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be his kingdom now and forever. And then the last word, the last word, that Jesus says to his people through the priesthood is what? The Aaronic blessing. It is a word of blessing from beginning to end. The role of the priesthood even today is to pronounce the divine favor and recognition of God onto God's people. You know, when we give out uh, the Bible to priests when they're ordained, we also give them this. Do you know what this is? You know what this is, right? 
It's my anointing oil thing. I've lost this thing a hundred times and it's always found its way back to me. Billy Waters bought that for me. Um, he said, this is expensive, don't lose it. That's how he gave it to me. <laughs> I just buy cheap ones now. But uh, why? Because the role of the priest is to go and to bless. The role of the priest is, is to proclaim God's word. And what is the word of God to God's people in Jesus Christ? That the curse has been swallowed up. And the word of God to you now is blessing, favor, recognition, it's his beloved children. Some of you might be irritated with me about this, but I think priests should give lots of candy to children. Um, <laughs> I like candy. Y'all know I like candy. I'm, I'm, I really like candy. Uh, my dentist doesn't think I should like candy, but I do. And why? Why do I think priests should give candy to children? Because that's how kids know, man, this person really likes me. They bring awesome stuff when they're around, right? And that's what you want kids thinking about priests is that they bring blessing with them. They bring God's word with them. They bring God's favor with them. I want to be around that person because where they are, Jesus is spoken forth. That's the role of the priesthood. Now, you need to remember that I, yes, I have the office of presbyter. That's where we get the word priest. But, but, but we do not believe that I'm the only priest in this room. Rather, every single one of you who has put their faith in Jesus Christ has been united by the Holy Spirit to Jesus himself. Therefore, God himself dwells within you. That makes you a priest too. The priesthood of all believers is still affirmed even if I wear this goofy get up because God has indwelt us and sent us out to be his presence of blessing in the world. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, but you are a chosen race. This is your story. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What did we see in our gospel reading today? Jesus sends out the disciples and they pronounce peace to the house that they enter. We see in Romans that we are called to be a people who even bless our enemies, Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. And yet I wonder if our world sees Christians today as a source of blessing or fundamentally a source of cursing. Yes, we hold the truth and we proclaim the truth prophetically and that will topple over the idols of our age and they will feel like we are cursing them. But are we able to speak those words in the context of relationship that has been built over a life of blessing someone? Notice what Jesus does when he sends out his disciples. He says, go into people's homes and bless the snot out of them. Bless them. Pronounce peace over them. And when we as Christians go out into the world and we don't first step out in a posture of relationality and blessing, how can we ever hope to have a prophetic voice of repentance. It will only be heard as cursing. One of the great you know, experiences I've had in evangelism and the most productive experiences of evangelism I've had is offering a blessing over someone, to bless them, to, to proclaim in the name of Jesus what you see is good about them, what you see is an act of common grace that they have experienced. My experience is that I've yet to find someone 
who has not let me bless them. Now, you might say, Tim, that's because you kind of have a goofy personality and people don't want to push you around or something. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I was told recently I have a punchable face, so I don't know if that's entirely <laughs> wrong. That was Billy Waters that said that. Billy said, you have a punchable face. I said, all right. Billy's the, Billy's the pastor that sent us out. Some of these people had him as their pastor for a while. They made the right choice and left. Came with our church. But, uh, <laughs> right? I've never had someone turn down a blessing, ever. You're allowed to bless in the name of Jesus. Go get some oil. Pray the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit over it. Bless someone. Parents, I've been doing this since our children were born. I, I learned it from one of you. I bless my children every night before they go to bed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit over their foreheads. This is what, you know, you do it right? like, like that. It's not very hard. And then I pray their bedtime prayer over them. But why do we do that? And fathers, I'd like to particularly give this call to you. Why? Because we get to be the priesthood to them and pronounce that their fundamental story is one of blessing. And I found that even if my son is going to bed in trouble, even if there are tears running down his little eyes as he's you know, going to cry himself to sleep, he still says, Dad, where's my blessing? Where's my blessing? And the world is asking, where's my blessing? And yet we've turned our backs. Are you living into your calling to be the priesthood? Are you living into your calling to be a blessing to this world? It doesn't mean that we bless sin. We can't bless sin. But it does mean we can proclaim God's goodness to a world so desperately in need of it. Is your marriage in trouble right now? Are you feeling a weight between you and your spouse? First, have you asked God to show you how this gift that has been given to you, your spouse, is a blessing directly from him? That it wasn't an accident that God put you two together and made you one flesh? And then take some time and actually bless each other in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to proclaim how you have been given to me as a blessing. And I see that as a gift given from the Father of lights. And I want to return that blessing to you in the name of God. It, will that be maybe awkward the very first time you do it? Probably. Get over it. It'll be good for you. Do you have a friend that needs to be blessed? Do you yourself need to be blessed? Ask someone to come and bless you. I'm assuming you all have oil in your homes. You should probably, you can ask an elder to bless the oil to, to bless it in your homes. That, that's permissible. Bless each other. What does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to have our identities rooted in him? It means that we are chosen child of God, blessed, broken, resurrected, and fed. And my prayer is that you would know just how blessed you are. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your blessing, that upon the cross you swallowed up all of the curse and given us all of your blessing as the beloved son. Lord, would you fill us with your infinite goodness, infinite blessing, infinite peace that we might go out into the world to bless those that are far from you, that they might experience your goodness and turn to you for eternal life the glory of your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.